Well, you doing good today? How many of you would rather be here, though, than in the hospital? Raise your hand. All right, all right. A little more enthusiasm. That's great. And for those of you who are welcome, uh, we welcome you online as well and uh, watching at home. I've been in a series of messages on overcoming spiritual vertigo. have been studying that in, your, in uh, your small groups, and now we come to the fruition of that, kind of wrapping up the journey, you might say, and talk about the last couple of chapters in the book, even though I'm not going to be preaching that uh, this morning. We've said that spiritual vertigo is really kind of taken from physical vertigo. And when you have first physical vertigo, what is taking place in your life is that your brain really can't process what your eyes are seeing. Therefore, you're off balance. Uh, therefore, you're maybe going through a dizzy time in your life. You don't know what up and down, know where you are. And so spiritual vertigo then is when you, your faith cannot process what your eyes are seeing, your ears are hearing, or you're experiencing with your life. Again, you know what's in the Bible, and hopefully that you believe that. And you say that you believe that, but you don't see it coming necessarily in fruition in your life. And oftentimes, you get in the journey of it all, and you begin to say, what's the use? And you slowly give up. You slowly quit on the Word or quit in the Christian life. Many, many people, uh, probably 50% of people in uh, churches today that are on the membership rolls cannot even be found And so what's happening to all that? If Jesus really changed your life, then shouldn't it be changed, of course, forever? Now, when you think to yourself, and the question comes up, well, why is it important anyway? After all, I'm living my life. I'm going through difficulties in life. The pandemic's going on. We've got elections coming up. We've got all these things that are causing me to watch television in in such a way that I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. Why is it so important in your life? Christian walk, to have a Christian walk. Let me just read something to you from a book called Ordering Your Private World. It comes from Howard Rutledge. He was shot down in Vietnam at the very beginning of the war and was in prison, a POW um, prisoner, for the remainder of the war. Here's what he writes. During those long, longer periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, Phyllis, his wife, had encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping. But I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the reality and really important things. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death are all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God, Christ, the church. But in heartbreak, that's the nickname for the POW camp. Solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty my life is without God. And so here was a man stripped down to the basic facts of life and came to the conclusion that he had wasted 
much of his life because he was not following the Lord. Now, in this journey that we're taking with the Lord, there always really has to be a beginning. That's why we talk about receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end of this message and give you an opportunity to do that. Then we talk about the middle. We spend most of our time in the middle, talking about the Christian life, raising you up to be the disciple that you need to be and I need to be as well. Then there's the ending, because so many people do not finish necessarily well. Well, it's sort of like a marriage, isn't it? You have the I do's and you have the finishing and then you have all the life in between. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 and I'm gonna be looking at a story. And so with this story, I'm gonna look at the, the start of it and then I wanna look at the ending of it as well and we'll sort of get the, uh, a summary of what kind of goes on in between. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, we'll start reading in just a moment. As we look at this passage, there's a prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. And he was living his life for the Lord, and he felt like he was the only one left that was a prophet of God. Many prophets of Baal around. And so how did this come about? Well, a fellow by the name of Ahab became king of Israel. He was so bad, he was so bad, the Bible says, he did more evil than any other king before him. And he married a woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, how, bad, how evil was Jezebel? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you know someone named Jezebel? All right. I mean, you know some Jonathans, right? You know some Stevens. You know, you know some Elijahs. We have someone on our staff named Elijah. But you won't find any Jezebels. She was one of the most wicked queens you'll ever find in the Bible. Now, with this going on, God had really come to an end with the nation of Israel. And he says, look, Elijah, what I want you to do, I want you to approach Ahab and tell him, it will not rain in Israel unless it's at your word, or really at, his, at God's word. So he told Ahab that. It didn't rain in Israel for about two years. At the end of that two years came up, and God said, now it's time to approach Ahab. Elijah went to Ahab and told him it's going to rain, but it's going to rain if the nation of Israel repents. This is, this is what I want to do. I want to challenge the prophets of this God, this idol, Baal. And you have about 450 prophets, and I alone, he thought at least, I'm, I'm alone, the only prophet available for God. So we're going to build a couple of altars. We're going to get all the nation of Israel together, and we're going to give you a first shot, and you pray to Baal, your prophets pray to Baal, and see if God would light the fire to, in order to have the burnt offering. And then I'm going to do it. And everybody was agreed to that. Well, all day long, the prophets of Baal cried out to God, screamed out to God. And it's right over in Israel in the valley of Megiddo. You can visit it today. And they cried out to God and they, their gods. And they did everything they could. They even cut themselves and sacrificed the blood on the altar. Nothing happened. At the end of the day, Elijah came along. He rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He put water, doused it with water over and over and over again. Really drenched it so much that water came out from the altar. Then he prayed. He says, God, show yourself to the nation of Israel. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the entire altar. The nation of Israel bowed down. They worshiped the Lord. The prophets of Baal were slain. And Jezebel was mad. And she said, she proclaimed, on my life, 
Elijah will face the same death, even worse than my prophets. Well, you think about, think about Elijah for just a moment. Elijah was willing to look at Ahab straight in the face and say, it will not rain for two years. He was willing to go back to him, even though Ahab blamed him for everything, and look at him straight in the face. He was willing to face 450 prophets of Baal, as well as risk his life with the rest of the nation of Israel. And yet when Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you, he runs. That's how wicked that, king, that queen was. He runs. And the Bible says he even became depressed. He says, look, God, I've done all this stuff for you. And, and, and now I'm being chased down. I'm, ha- I'm, trying to, I'm having to hide. And God says, hey, don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to do. And he gave him a list of things to anoint this person as king and so forth. And then we come to verse 19. And he has one more task, at least in this list of, of the things he wants Elijah to do. And that was to raise up a successor. And that comes to Elisha. And we read in verse 19. So he departed from there meaning Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and was plowing with 12 oxen in the front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Now, in order to really get going in the Christian life, you got to get started, right? You got to have a beginning, and you have to do it as opportunity strikes, as it comes to a time that you have to make a decision to say, I'm going with it. As a believer, you have a calling, or as a non-believer, you have a calling to salvation. There's a time, the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You as I, as believers, have, we have opportunities to do things. And so there's a time for it. Then there's a track to follow. Finally, we're going to be looking at 2 Kings, our second passage, at the end of the story, the tenacity to finish. First of all, the time to begin. We look at this passage in verse 19. And first of all, let me say that life is short. Say that in the book. Life is short. I was walking with a neighbor the other night, and uh, it just so happens I was kind of walking the same direction. He was walking his dogs, and we just started talking. I didn't realize his family was from Atlanta, Georgia, not too far from where my family and Pam's family live. And so we were talking about that, and I said, what about your kids? And he said, well, all my kids, all my children are grown. I said, yeah, mine too. He says, man, time really flies. And I said, you know, for 30 years, my dad has been saying that, and, I, and I, I vowed to myself I would never say that. And for the last 10 years, that's all I've been saying. Man, it, it just goes right by. You know, I, I'll ask Pam, well, you know, can you remember a, a time that I told that story? I, I told that story, what, about five years ago? And she says, no, about last year, I think. You don't need to use that one again. It's about, I, looked, I look up, and it's been 10 years since I told that story. And so time just eats up. And and the Bible says this. Do you not know that tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring? What is your life? For it's like a mist that it appears for a little time and then vanishes. Man, that's that's so encouraging, isn't it? So encouraging. Now, the good news is you've got 86,400 seconds every day to spend. You can't spend them over. You can't hold them over to the next year on the next day even, you have to spend it, and that's it. And your life is measured by that time. Think about it for just a moment. Our life is measured by time. In fact, if you were to kill someone, in a sense you're taking their life, but what you're really taking is their time because they're going to die anyway. 
if life was like a clock, and you can imagine a clock up here, and it's just kind of going around um, clockwise for you. If life was like a clock, and you live to be 80 years old, if you're 20 years old right now, 20 years old, right now it's only 6 a.m. on the clock. Man, you're barely getting up. But if you're 40 years old, it's high noon. If you are 60 years old, it's 6 p.m. at night. Should I go on? No, no, please, please don't do that. I understand. But here's the thing. Life has value. And when you waste your time, you waste your life. Now, Ephesians 5 and 15 and 16 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Now, when you think about that time in that verse being a chronological time, then it really the verse doesn't really make much sense. But when you take it as a different Greek word, and it is, then chrono, chronos is a Greek word meaning the time on your watch, chronological. Keros is the word, Greek word that means opportunity. And that's this word in Ephesians. He says, making the most of your opportunities because the days are evil and the days are taking away your opportunities. We look in the scripture and we find out that Elijah, Elisha was a rich guy. He had 12 yoke of oxen. That's pretty, that's pretty good for back in that day. And he was even driving one of them. The only way we gather from this and about what he's about to do and actually kill the oxen and then uh, have or kill everything and, and have a big feast for the people who work for him, you would know that he owned these, these things. So he owns all these teams. And so he was a pretty wealthy man. Now notice what it says. He says, Elijah passed by him and cast out his cloak upon him. Now we just automatically assume that the cloak or the mantle is a sign of succession. The anointing of God is going to be on your life. We know that only because of what the Bible teaches us later in this passage, in these passages, not automatically. In fact, I don't know if anyone would realize what Elijah was doing except for Elisha because God was now speaking to his heart. And he was saying to him, you're next in line. You're going to take over for Elijah. Now, what did that mean exactly? Well, not only was he going to take over as a prophet, but he was going to take over as a miracle working prophet. We think to ourselves oftentimes in the Bible that all the prophets were kind of the same. They all foretold the future. They all worked miracles and they all preached. Well, you got one third of it right. They all preached. Most of them foretold the future in some way. Only a few worked miracles. Elijah was one of those who was a miracle working prophet. And so when the mantle fell at, uh, upon Elisha's shoulders, he was being called out to be a prophet that was unlike any other prophet of his day. He had an opportunity. What was he going to do with it? Notice in verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what, is I, what have I got to do with you? Boy, this is kind of a weird saying, isn't it? But Elijah was just saying, well, you can do whatever you want. I'm not calling you. This is not between me and you. This is between you and God. You're not even my choice. I was just kidding. I don't know. You know, we don't know whether it's choice or not. But that's not what it sounds like, right? You're not my choice. 
This is between you and God. So what did he do? Verse 21, he turned, returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, boiled their flesh and the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. He was just simply saying, look, I want to go back and tell my parents goodbye. Now in the New Testament, Jesus called someone out and Jesus said, come and follow me. And they said, let me go bury my father first. It's the same thing, right? No, because the father in the New Testament wasn't even dead yet. All he wanted to do, all Elisha wanted to do, was tell his parents goodbye, good thing, and he, what he did was, was take the oxen and he sacrificed, you might say the oxen, or at least sacrificed them to the rest of his um, crew, and he says, we're going to have a great feast. They never ate like that in their life. People who were workers, common workers, just never ate like this. They had a great feast, and he burned the plows. And he said, I'm not coming back. I'm not going back. I am all in. He made a decision in his life, a decision where he could not go back. Now, what what did, he, what did we learn from this? He didn't procrastinate. He didn't say, well, look, um, you know, let me go bury my father first. You know, let me go and, and, and uh, do some shopping. For, I got to get ready, you know. Gotta, I got I to gotta build some support here. You know, let me do this first. As soon as I reach a certain amount of money in my family business, then I'm going to act upon it. Let me share something with you. You ask the question, when should I do it? When should I, when should I act on my faith? Because faith requires action. When should I do that? Right now, as soon as God tells you. You say, now wait a minute. Pastor, I, I feel like I'm called to the ministry. Should I just go out and minister now? Well, yeah, but shouldn't I go to school? Well, yes, but you ought to make plans to go to school right now. You say, well, I plan to, to go on the mission field, make plans right now. I plan to start my own business. I can't do it now. I mean, it's during the pandemic. Nobody would do that. Make plans now. If God was not calling you to do something now, he would wait to tell you. So you do it now. He was prepared. Probably not prepared to become the prophet, but he was prepared to say yes to God. What does God want you to do right now. We can read in Psalms and um, in Psalm 119.60 it says this I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. So you do it now. The first thing you've got to do is start. Here you are this morning and you think you know I, I, my marriage is in trouble. I needed to get some marriage counseling do it now. You know I, I need to start applying to colleges. I really need, need, need to go to do it now. I really need to receive Christ in my heart. Do it now. I need to really start serving the Lord in some way. You've been putting it off, and procrastination is the enemy of the now. It's the enemy of a, a, an opportunity seized. It is the foundational principle to wasting your life. I'll put it off. I'll, when I get around to it, then that's when I'll do it. No, you, you do it right now. You've got to get started. I've heard that. 60% of the rocket, or 90% of the rocket fuel used to send a rocket into space is used at the takeoff. You've got to start. But then I want you to notice there's a track here to follow. And we'll read about it. In fact, let me just go ahead and read a couple of verses right now over in 2 Kings, our second passage, and we'll end here. But it says in verse 1, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. How long was this? 18 years. He was an apprentice for 18 years as a track to follow. 
What was that track to follow the word of God? Who was the word of God in his life? It was Elijah. You and I have a track to follow. The track to follow is the Bible. It is the word of God. And we need to follow it. And as God is communicating to us how to get from one place to the other, A to B, how to grow in the Christian life, how to become different in the Christian life, how to be successful in the Christian life, we find it right here. There's a track to follow. 18 years. Why? Can you imagine? Uh, you know, they're sitting around the table and one woman asks Elijah, Elisha's mom, what was Elijah doing now, man? He was kind of the top of his class, wasn't he? I mean, he was really sharp. Oh, he, he's, he, he's scrambling eggs for Elijah. You know, he's his valet. Oh, I, I didn't know. How long? Oh, it's been about 18 years. Why? An apprentice, an intern for 18 years. Because the Bible teaches there are two basic callings in life. There's a lot of callings, but two foundational ones. That is, the calling to be and then the calling to do. The calling to be a Christian, to walk with the Lord, that is always general. It's the same for everybody. You come, you, you go to church, you go to a small group, you iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You come to worship God, you read the Bible for yourself, you pray, you serve, same for everybody. But then you begin to grow through the adversities of life. Not only through the Bible, but through getting through all the trials and adversities of life. And you become more like Jesus because of that every day. Romans 8.29 teaches that, being conformed to the image of his son. Then we have the power or the calling to do. To do something with the faith that we have. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. We're like a poem that he's designing. For what? For good works. Now I know that sometimes churches get criticized for spending, you say, oh, you're spending money on yourself. You know, what about the rest of the world? I don't know. I can't really dissect it, but I just don't know how little money we really spend on ourselves. And let, let me give you an illustration of that. So we have some students here. Um, anybody here studying to be an engineer? Anybody here? Oh, we have a few. All right. How many engineers do we already have? Yeah, come on. Don't be so bashful about it. In fact, I, some of you think, man, he really knows me really well. He knew what I was doing for a living. No, I just always guess engineer, and I get it right about half the time. It seems, okay, you're going to be studying to be an engineer. Well, okay, why don't you just go do it? What do you, what do you mean go do it? No, I mean, why do you need all that stuff at UCF? Just go out and be an engineer. Well, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't do a good job. Somebody else says, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a surgeon. Just go out and start cutting on people. Right? Just, just go out and do it. So, no, I need training. I need school. I need an apprenticeship. I need internship. What do you think the church is all about? We are called together to honor God in worship every single week, whether it's in person, online, whatever we're doing. It, we're called to learn the word of God, but we're called to grow. And we grow and we get the, the power, the calling to become someone in Jesus Christ. So why? For good works outside these walls. We ask people to teach young people, our students, our children, 
preschoolers, in order to, to raise them up in the Lord. We ask people to teach our adults and our small groups. We have Cross Life U on Wednesday nights or right now online because we want to develop you in becoming a Christian, not only that you can withstand adversity yourself and finish well yourself and have a better home life and raise your children in a better way, but we want you to go out into the world and spread the joy of the Lord with everyone else and the peace that you felt in Jesus Christ. And the greater, listen, the greater the do, the greater the be has to be. The more God's going to use you in the Christian life and in this world, the more he has to build you. He was going to use Elisha in a great way. And because of that, it took 18 years to prepare him to do it and to finish it. And so we look at 18 years, but what about the end of it? What about the finishing of it? We need the tenacity to finish. I'm not going to read all these verses in chapter 15 because of the, in the interest of time. But let me just highlight a couple of things. He says in verse 3, uh, verse 2, And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourselves live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel, came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And we look at this passage, and first they went to Gilgal, then Bethel, then they would go to Jericho, and then the Jordan. And then finally in verse 8, then Elijah took his cloak, the mantle, and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry land. And when they crossed, Elisha, Elijah rather, said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said this. He could have asked for anything. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now there's ambiguity on what that means. Some people feel like because a double portion was the inheritance of the oldest son. And really the oldest son back in this day would receive the power, the authority, really the land. He would be the CEO of the, the company or the farm. He would get it all. And so what Elisha was saying was, I want to be as effective as you. I don't want to waste my life. I want to be like you, just like you. Now it's amazing, however, that as far as recordings in the Bible, we don't know all what these prophets did, but as far as the Bible is concerned, Elijah performed eight miracles recorded in the Bible. Elisha 16. And Elisha served twice as many years as Elijah did as a prophet. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And here's what, here, here's really the, the, the really main emphasis of the whole passage in verse 10, he says, and he said, you have asked a hard thing, but if you see me as I am taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it will not be so. If you finish, you'll get the blessing. If you don't finish with me, you're gonna miss that which you want and have been praying for and seeking for the last 18 years. You're going to miss it. If you come up and say, I'm leaving, you are going to simply miss it. Now, in 2 Kings, we find 
that as the eldest son was supposed to receive the inheritance and Elisha wanted to be that oldest son and be like Elijah, we find that he couldn't quit. Boy, it's so tempting to quit, isn't it? It's just so, it's so, somebody walks in and just quits their job. Man, I'm going to tell that boss. I'm going to tell him a thing or two. I can't say anything else. I'm preaching, you know. Um, I can't say that all that other stuff in church. I'm going to tell him off. And you do. You walk in there. This is how I've been treated. I can't believe you've done me this way. I quit. And you go out feeling like a real man. But then you go home and you tell your wife, <laughs> quit my job, no money coming in. And you pay for it for a long, long time as they call back to that job and say, whoa, how did this guy perform? Oh, you don't want him. I can't say anything, but I wouldn't hire him again. But it's so good. You, you walk into a class and you're not doing well, and you're just tired of the stress, I'm just going to drop it. And then, when I come back next semester and take it, I'll be ahead of everybody else. I'll just quit. It damages you. One man has said this. A guy by the name of David Lloyd George said this. There's nothing so fatal to character than half-finished tasks. It damages your faith. It's habit-forming. And as you live your life, it really robs God and it robs you. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 36. You know that passage we're really kind of basing the whole book on and basing this series on, Hebrews 10, 36 through chapter 12, verse 3. It talks about enduring faith. Here's what it says. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You've already done the will of God. You say, I've done the will of God. I've done this and this and this, and I follow. Then you endure, and you will receive the promise. And you've got to believe that. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that those who please God must please him by faith, and you must believe that God is, and what? He is a rewarder of those who seek him. You will miss the blessing when you come to the promise. You've been praying for something for years, and you quit. You just give up. I just don't even think about it anymore. You're going to miss the promise. You're going to miss the blessing. You're going to miss the guidance. You're going to miss that person that you've been praying for getting saved. You're going to miss that life-altering prayer that just changes everything for you, a game changer, because you just didn't see Elijah at the end. It says here, Elijah saw, saw it in fact, in verse 11, it says, and they still went in and talked. Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Chariots, by the way, in the Bible and horses of fire, all that kind of stuff, it's judgment. He was simply saying to Elisha, I'm separating from you. I'm gonna be taken up and you're not. It's not your time. The chariots of fire and Elijah went up a, by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he, the cloak of Elijah had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the God, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other. And Elisha went over 
Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down before him as their leader. The cloak, the mantle, succession. I'm giving you this, but it's not, it's not just cheap. I mean, 18 years of your life and finishing all the way to the end, but he received the promise. He got what God had promised him. He, he received the blessing. Now, dear friends, let me say this. All of us are tempted to quit, and quitting is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Quitting does great damage to your faith, but it doesn't come overnight. You just doesn't, you don't come up one night, one day and say, well, just forget the whole thing. I'm just going to quit. No, it, it comes slowly. And usually it comes up with strongholds in our life that we've talked about, sin in our life, maybe thought life. And we receive so many blessings of God. In fact, the time of defection, the biggest temptation to defection is not when you're going through adversity. It's when you're getting blessed. Elijah became depressed right after the greatest revival probably the Bible ever records. Depressed because his emotions were just run out and, and, and just he just couldn't take it anymore. Sometimes we get blessings in life. Whoa, we like those. Don't you like blessings? Don't you like to get blessed? Sure, I do. I love it. But sometimes we get to looking at the blessing and say, you know, I'd miss this if it were gone. And we begin to put that first in our life. God says, no, I've got to wean you away from that. And it hurts because God's sort of taken the idols away from our life. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm just discouraged. Look at my life. Look at it. Look at the facts. Here's the facts, God. Look where, look where I am. I used to be this, but I'm not that anymore. I was praying for this, and I got real close. It's just out of my reach. You're going through spiritual vertigo in your life, and you're looking at these are the facts. Well, they may be the facts, but they're not all the facts. It's not all the truth. Only God knows the whole truth. And we fail to look behind us at the no longer and we just can't simply trust God because we don't think, we don't remember the great blessings of God because all we know is the future looks bleak because I'm going to lose some of the things that I love so much because it looks like I'm going to lose them now. And then finally, there's rationalization. I mean, after all, I don't know if it works anyway. You know, you're blessing somebody else, you're not going to bless me. It must be that I'm just not the blessed type. But here's what happens. Jeremiah says this. They have forsaken me. He told Jeremiah at least. God told Jeremiah. They've forsaken me. The fountain of living waters to hold for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I've seen this happen in my own life. I'm not, I'm not preaching just to you. I love the blessings of God. And I fight constantly not to put the blessings ahead of God. What, what in the world is he talking about? A cistern. Well, and... You can see these in the Holy Land. We went over to the Holy Land one time, went to uh, Nazareth, where Jesus was raised, and they only have rain there twice a year. And so what they have to do is dig wells in the rock. You, you can't really dig them in the clay, the sand. So they dig them in the rock, and what they'll do is have a little box. The rain comes down into that box. It filters through to the side and then goes down into a deep well. And they use that water, stale water, uh, for the rest of the year. And they have ways of uh, you know, purifying that. But nevertheless, it's, it's a deep well. 
He says, you've traded living waters. Waters that just flow down from a waterfall, a river that never runs dry, a river that blesses everything around it and turns green. Everything around it turns green. Everything around it has life. You've forsaken that. And home for yourself, cisterns, they said they, they're broken. So it's not just that you've got stale water, but you don't have any water because it's split, it's broken. Somewhere in the rock, there's a leak and the water just keeps dying down. We've forsaken the blesser for the blessing and we've rationalized it. Like in our marriage, you may say, well, you know, reason I'm doing this, leaving this, you know, look, look at my wife, look what she's done. Look at my husband, you know, he's not paying attention anymore. We rationalize things. It's my parents. Boy, I wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for my parents. Everybody has parents. And your parents just can't get blamed for everything. The sign of maturity is when you take responsibility for your own actions. But we rationalize, and rationalization is the, is the foundation to quitting. If we can rationalize it, we can give it up. So what about you today? Here's the great thing. Listen to me very carefully. The greatest gold strike in American history was made two inches below where the last man stopped digging. One more blow. One more strike. One more day. One more month. One more year. And you keep on. He says, look, God says, if you don't leave me, if you keep following me and you don't defect, you don't quit, you're going to receive in your life a blessing until it overflows. That's how important it is. So what about you today? Where are you in all this? Are you, are you at the end where you're saying, yeah, I just think that I just, I just so tempted to quit. Don't quit. Don't quit before you win. Don't quit before the promise comes. Don't quit before the blessing. You have need of endurance that after you've done the will of God, the blessing comes when you endure. But maybe you're at the beginning and you're saying, you know, I just need to get started. You're right about me, Pastor. I just keep putting things off, especially the most important things. And if like this man said at the beginning of the message, as he was in prison, as he began to separate the important from the unimportant, the most important thing is my relationship with God, then I don't have one. Well, you can have one. You can have one today by realizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He rose again. And whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's apply this to our life today. With his bowed and eyes closed, some of you that are here today are watching. Where are you with all this? Would you just say to God right now, God, I won't quit. I just won't quit. I just can't. Make me have such a mindset, God, in my life where I just can't do it. I just, no matter how much I want to, I just can't quit. Help me to do the things I need to do in order to grow and then receive you as the greatest blessing. And then if you've never received Christ, you're not sure if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. Let me ask you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it silently. You can pray it here in the room silently as I pray out loud. You can pray it on as you're watching at home. 
and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you. Let's pray now. God, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the many Christians that are committing to you today and say, God, I won't quit. Make me have a mindset that I'll never quit. I'll never. I just, I can't. I just can't quit. I just can't. And then, Lord, I pray for those who have never started. I pray, God, right now that they would pray this prayer with me. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of all my sins. Make me the person that you want me to be. Help me to follow you. Help me not to be that one that quits, that one who cowers back, the one who just rests in the pew, resting at home, but help me to be a dynamic disciple for you, a follower of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.